On today's episode, we have Chris Berrigan and Chad Miller joining us. Chris and Chad are both good friends of mine. They both serve mentor, pastor, boss kind of roles in my life. And we're going to talk about fatherhood and what it means to be a dad, what it means to father, and what that looks like in 21st century America. So I'm excited for you guys to hear from them. Let's dive on in. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm sitting here with Chad the Dad and Chris Berrigan. Chris is my boss. Hi. Um, He won't be my boss when this releases, so if I blackmail him, he can't fire me because I will already be gone. Uh, But we're going to be talking about fatherhood and their relationships with their fathers, kind of. (laughs) Not too many details, but some details. Um, And then their relationship. There are details. That's true. Um, And then them being fathers because they're both fathers. Um, Before we get into that, could you guys maybe introduce yourselves? Chad, you've already been on the podcast, so I don't care as much about you. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can do a little bit, and then Chris, maybe give a little bit longer of a bio. Yeah. Uh, Chad Miller, um, <laughs> grateful to be here with these guys, and I work here at Biola, and that's uh, one of the campus pastors, and looking forward to having this conversation. <laughs> Not really sure what to say, but my name is Chris, <laughs> and I also happen to work at Biola, I function as a campus pastor, and I have been married to a wonderful woman named Angela, and we have two kids. And Do you have any nicknames like Chad does? He has Chad the Dad, no, Matt Schiller. I mean, I feel like sometimes people call me my Instagram name. Chris is going, follow me. I want more followers than Chad. <laughs> Do you have more followers than I do? Almost. I don't know. What do I? I don't even know what I. What's your so, ratio? Yeah, Instagram. Chris What's your ratio? Going. How you do it? Are you are you follow back kind of person? Do you follow back? Like if they follow, if you sound like if unfathered if, people if right I'm, now who are if, talking about what our ratio is on Instagram. <laughs> First issue: if you care what your ratio on Instagram is, reconnect with your no, father. No, I just want to beat you. <laughs> okay, so yeah, it's really just you. That makes sense. Are you going to follow people back if they follow you, Chris? Um, it depends. If they have good content, I really like a curated feed. Oh, so I like to like look at. I want. I want to like go to my feed and feel good. So I want to be inspired. I want to be encouraged. I want to laugh. This may be a rabbit trail we don't want to take, but what does Chris's going mean? Okay, that's true. I'd never, never thought about. <laughs> this that. is actually a much longer conversation, but I used to. Um, so I still have an email address that is Chris is going. And it's when I was going on all of these like short term missions and all of these things. So I was always going somewhere. Oh, okay. and so Makes it was sense. Chris is going because sometimes Chris, Chris is going, going to Egypt, to the Middle East yeah. or to Asia or to whatever. And then for some reason it just stuck. And I kind of don't love it, but I don't hate it. It shows progress. You know, it's like uh, moving the water in a river is moving. That's better than if it was just there stagnant. I like that. Yeah. So, and now I just kind of, I don't go anywhere. I go to work and I go to Chick-fil-A and (laughs) that's true. Raising Cane's and that's about it. Raising Cane's. Oh, Raising Cane's every day over Chick-fil-A. It depends on if you want clean, cleaner tasting chicken or just like full out or just raunchy chicken. Okay, but raunchy is grease. Okay, I but it's eat good. it every Sunday. First of all, so back off. That's true. Chick Fil A isn't open on Sundays because they're Christian, mm-hmm. I guess. Christian chicken. Not anymore because they withheld their donations. You know. Anyway, <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> what is that? Uh, okay, let's talk about dad's stuff. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about. What is your experience of being fathered? If that specific example is fine, but just what was the idea of father to you growing up? Like, what did you think a father was before you became a father? What did you think a father was? I'm pointing at you on this one. 
um yeah i mean i suppose if we're just gonna do this we're just gonna do this (laughs) um i have a very complicated relationship with being fathered because i have a dad that i don't even like to think of as father i Mm -hmm. in some ways think of him as the person who's responsible half responsible for me being here um but it kind of ends there so Mm. It's pretty painful. There's a lot of trauma that has happened. Um, and quite honestly, there's not really a relationship with him mm-hmm. because I've had to, I've tried, I've tried and I can't. Um, and so I think for my own well being, my own safety, mm-hmm. um, I've had to, I've had to end that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's painful. And yeah. There's a lot of layers and thousands of dollars in therapy that's been spent mm-hmm. processing that. But mm-hmm. what about other aspects of your life? Did you feel like you <clears throat> were you kind of without father figures at all, um, or what? What else was your experience growing up in terms of what what a father meant? Because you maybe didn't get it from your dad, but yeah. what were other kind of fathers like in your life? I think I had people that were well intentioned in wanting to father me. I don't know that any of them felt particularly committed to a longer journey, a longer road. Mm-hmm. Um, one that would weather some bumps and mm-hmm. disappointments. And so I actually feel, feel pretty unfathered hmm. in general. I had a grandfather who was amazing and did everything he could to love me and to support me. Um and so that's about as close to fathering as I can wrap my mind around is having mm-hmm. like a really good grandpa. But my grandpa also enabled my father mm. to continue to mm-hmm. inflict pain on mm-hmm. the family. And so even that's weird because I'm like, you're actually responsible for mm-hmm. <laughs> some of how mm-hmm. this has played out. And yet yep. I do feel really loved by you. Mm-hmm. So I would say um, growing up, it would probably be just that relationship. Yeah. Chad, what about you? Just the idea of of a father growing up. Yeah, I, you know, I think if my broadest definition of father in some sense is that anybody who brings me up into becoming myself, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that's done by showing me what that person is like and then maybe I can, and offering to me, maybe you can become like me. But really, I think it, it's anybody who has a vision that I am a pre-person and is trying to bring me into fullness. Hmm. Um, I, my dad and I, uh, we are are always actively working on our relationship, and it doesn't come easy. And I think I can say that. I think he would say that too. Um, but there's been there have been ways in which, at times, he brought me up into myself. But I can also give my mom credit for some of that stuff too. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, Chris, for you too. Uh, when we say fathered, I think we get real gendered with that. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. I think, uh, I, I mean, I'm thinking about even a basic motif of my mother is the one who knew how to swim in our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was born in Missouri. My mother was born in Manhattan Beach, California. Mm-hmm. And so they grew up at the beach and negotiating waves. My mom went to Maricosta High School, which is a like surfing legendary school. And uh, we would go to grandma's house at the beach Uh, when I was a kid and it was my mom, not my dad teaching me how to be brave and courageous out there in the ocean. And 
it was her shoulders that I was clinging to as I was learning to, oh, you actually go under these waves, mm-hmm. you know, and the backward fearful, facing all of that backward fearfulness with my mom, you know. So my mom fathered me, I think, mm-hmm. in those things as well. And mm-hmm. uh, and others did as well. But I, I really want to keep, for me, as I am a dad, I think I really want to just be pro. What I'm doing here is bringing my kids into the fullness of who they are mm-hmm. and, and really going for broke around that. That allows me to see the places I've been fathered more than just from a father. Yeah. So maybe diving into that a little bit more. Now you guys are both fathers. So what has kind of changed in your minds about your previous idea of what a father was until now, how you were trying to, to father your kids? I mean, kind of along a similar conversation or like what Chad was saying, I think I thought that being a father meant that I had to exert um, an incredible amount of masculinity. Like, fatherhood and masculinity were mm-hmm. synonymous. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding that that's not actually true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I've, I know that I felt very afraid of being a father because I didn't feel like I was going to have what it took or what it would mm. take to be a good father. Um that somehow I would experience a deficit because of my own experiences and realities. And so I didn't have enough masculinity Hmm. and I'm finding that I'm actually a pretty good dad. Um, I think I'm trying to believe that um, as it's being shared, like, Hey, you do a really Mm -hmm. good job at this, that or the other, like Mm -hmm. you're a really good dad. Um, And so I'm discovering that it, being a good father is not gendered necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that there are, that being a good father is when I bring the fullness of who I am to my children hmm. and I allow them to see as much of me as I know, um, as much of me that I can be aware of and that I'm there to journey with them. Hmm. Um, and that all of who I am when brought to the table actually makes me a pretty good father Um, Hmm. and that I don't have to be this construct of what I think being a good dad is supposed to look like. Yeah. I'm always trying to get more in shape in my fathering in remembering that my kids are probably not going to remember the little axiom that I had or the little bit of wisdom. (laughs) I mean, they might. But what, but in the task of me being the person that is helping to form them into the fullness of who they're supposed to be, I'm stewarding that part of their life. I have to admit that they're going <clears> to <throat> probably do and become the things that I, that I do and become myself. Yeah. You know, so I could, and I think because I'm such a verbal person, I think a place I go wrong frequently in parenting is this assumption that if I just put it just right for my kids, if I explain myself or if I, but really I'm not going to be teaching any particularized wisdom, but what I will be teaching is the importance of being verbal, Hmm. of finding words for things. Like that's going to be the ultimate lesson that in several years, my kids are going to hold on to. Dad always valued finding words for things, Mm -hmm. but that's not the lesson I think I'm teaching. I think I'm teaching a particular lesson Mm -hmm. that I'm trying to find words for. 
but as I've been doing this longer, my oldest is 14 now. I think I'm starting to, you know, maybe just in time, just starting to lose that attachment to merely words. And I'm starting to accept that you're going to do what I do. So if I am like a dad who works out a couple times a, a week, then you're probably going to be the kind of mm-hmm. person that works out a couple mm-hmm. times a week. You're not going to be, you know, telling you the <laughs> virtues, explaining the virtues of cardiovascular health to you mm-hmm. is probably not going to be what sticks. But since we live together and there's such a high volume of time, waking up in the morning and leaving the house and doing something. Now, mm-hmm. sadly, I don't really work out twice a week. <laughs> so it's so, waiting for you to get to that. <laughs> so, yeah, but, uh, but uh, just learning and accepting that that's the way this transfer of knowledge is going to mm-hmm. happen, not through these copious amount of words that I have. Now, thanks for asking me on a podcast. I love words. But, <laughs> you know, this podcast wouldn't confer the things I want to confer to my kids, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, we couldn't we couldn't play this podcast for them and like, oh, I know how to be fathered now, like, right. or I know even what right. it means to be a father per se. Well, I think even a lot of the family systems classes I'm taking, it's a lot of like, well, how do you instill this virtue or this idea or this value in your kids? And literally, the answer every time is model it. Mm-hmm. If you want your kids to be a certain way, then you have to be that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the big problem with parenting or the big hurdle you come across is that you want them to be better than yourself. Yeah. Like, that's always, like, my parents had this ideology of, like, we are better than our parents by a step. We're just going to make sure you're better than us by a step. And that normally can be the case sometimes, but then it's kind of hard because it's, like, I'm only going to become who I am under who you are. Yeah. Um, and so only I can only go as far as you are, in a sense, until I find new parents, um, mm-hmm. in a sense. So maybe we can dive in a little bit to just the American dad, not the TV show, because um, that's I don't know anyone who actually watches that TV show. I don't either. To be honest. <laughs> like when you have Family Guy and other things, I'm like, why would you, do you watch American Dad, Chris? I don't. You looked like you my, almost did. But my father-in-law and mother-in-law do. <laughs> oh wow. Um, no offense to anyone who watches American Dad, but the classic that's a huge demographic. Yeah. That you you there don't want to offend that group of people. There's apparently a lot of people who watch it because it's still on the air and it's been on the air for a while. Um, but the typical American dad, I think this is changing with generations. Um, the typical American family is emotionally distant, hardworking father with emotionally active, maybe overbearing, uh, persistent, consistent mother. And almost most people are parented more by mothers than they are by fathers, um, to say it stereotypically. So how do you guys not <laughs> be that? Um, what have you been doing when you look at culture at large and you see men consumed with their work, um, either putting false pressures or expectations on their kids, being emotionally detached from their kids, emotionally attached from their spouses. How have you guys put the effort in? What have you guys done to make sure in a sense you are not that, but someone who's actually whole and healthy and attuned to their emotions and is a, is a holistic father rather than just a father who provides food on the table? Yeah. So I, um, I'm home one day a week with my kids. And so I work from home on Fridays and I do my absolute best to get as much done in their nap windows and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's successful, sometimes it's not. (laughs) Um, But I think even just that of like going to my boss and saying, hey, this is a need that my family has right now. It's not going to be forever, but this Mm -hmm. is a particular season that we're in and it would be really helpful if I could have this time to be with them. And to be given that blessing and saying, yeah, go for it. This is something that is going to be 
good for you, which will ultimately benefit our team. Um, Mm -hmm. But yes, please go be with your family. Um, And so I think even quite literally being home one day a week Mm -hmm. um, kind of sets that off a little bit where it's not an expectation that my wife is the one who is home. Mm -hmm. And she does happen to be home one day a week with them as well. But I think that equity in the shared care and um, upbringing of our children, like we've really kind of taken that pretty uh like i'm not saying we split it 50 50 because that would not be that's mm-hmm. like not true of that's not anything. true like delegation <laughs> or parenting is 50 50 um but i would say we both show up 100 100 mm-hmm. you know for lack of a better way to explain that it's but so we cliche. just i know um <laughs> also mathematically impossible whatever I whatever i know we're moving uh, past it okay well jesus is 100 100 so <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> um but i think even just from a very practical standpoint where we both show up to raise our kids yeah um and it's not her job more than it is my job mm-hmm. um and we've and so it's really funny my daughter has dance class on um saturdays um and my wife's actually not ever taken my daughter i've <laughs> been the one that has just kind of worked out to take her on saturday mornings and i'm the only dad there mm-hmm. and it's like just a bunch of moms and then there's mm-hmm. me um, and even that is a real interesting, like, oh, why, why did we not even give a second guess to like, mm-hmm. actually, it's easier for you to take her on Saturday so I can do <clears throat> this and be home and do these other things. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, just kind of keep doing that. And so like where maybe the mom would have been the one to take her to dance and the dad's the one who takes the other kid to baseball. Which is funny because I would argue in sports games still generally i'd say there's more moms than dads showing up yeah probably yeah but i would probably so this is like a whole other thing but (laughs) where my wife played sports she's played Mm -hmm. basketball for the majority of her life in school Mm -hmm. and i'm like i i don't i (laughs) which way which way is the ball supposed to go like it's just not how it's not how i'm wired (laughs) um and so where yeah i'm pretty sure that if my daughter had basketball she would probably be the ones, the mm-hmm. one taking her, mm-hmm. because and probably she, shooting with her out in the backyard. Oh, for sure. Probably doing all. Well, the, they probably wouldn't want you shooting with her. No, I'm terrible. I could barely there. play. I think it's called horse or something. Like I'm not. <laughs> yep. I'm not good at that. So it just basically to say how what have mm-hmm. we done is mm-hmm. we've just kind of fallen into these patterns that don't feel normal mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we end up in different spaces um, with our kids and. Um, yeah, like we we just kind of don't subscribe to a lot of normal yeah. ways of... Well, and I think something time. unique, Chris, is that like even working in a Christian institution, being a pastor, you still in a sense had to go... They gave you the blessing, but you still had to go ask for the day off. You still had to go ask probably to do some different things. The reality, I think, of fathering or just parenting today is that your work environments are not going to be like, oh, yeah, go <laughs> to this mm-hmm. game with your kids. Like, they'll be like, no, you need to stay overtime to finish this up. They're right. not going to be caring about your family. So mm-hmm. it's almost like you have to work double time because you're naturally going to be doing whatever it is that will be negligent of your kids. But then second, all the pressure culturally to get ahead, to be more successful, to move up in the company, it's all of like the against parenting mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So you have to work harder in a sense mm-hmm. just to be more present. And that's something that honestly has come up in conversations with like colleagues and even my boss where I'm like, 
I just kind of always feel like I am not meeting the bar. Like I'm mm-hmm. so sorry. Like I've I always feel like I've never given enough in that week mm-hmm. that I always need to be doing more. Which is a weird experience because then I feel like I'm feeling I'm not being a good enough dad because like I mm-hmm. I should be doing more um, as a dad and I should be doing more as a colleague and I should be mm-hmm. doing more um, at church and just all of these things. Mm-hmm. And so I always sort of like feel at a deficit. And I feel mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it that's a pressure that's mm-hmm. very very real. And interesting about kids, even in my story. All of us kids would agree with we'd rather have dad be less successful in his business and more present in our lives. Sure. We'd have we'd rather have less money, a smaller house, less cars, less trips to Disneyland, less of that if it meant more presence. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't voice that as a kid. You don't really know. Sometimes you'll be like, Daddy, I want to be with you, but that's it. Um, but there's there's not that interplay until you get to your twenties and then you already moved out of the house. You're like, Oh man, I wish that was different. Mm-hmm. But what about for you, Chad? What has maybe been some steps you've taken to be different from the typical American dad T V show? <laughs> uh well, I would I mean the thing that undergirded a lot of that this sort of stereotype was the assumption that mama has stayed home all day and mm-hmm. has done the leadership in the house and that uh i was away the dad was away mm-hmm. and i was bringing home the bacon and so back like it used to be in the 50s you know <laughs> the, the, the good old days, the good old right? days. No, you no. gotta make it great again right right <laughs> no, no no so no. just took a right turn right there no so but there is a there is a a sense in which there is a that's the reason why and so then as much as it was, it's panned and judged. That was at least the dad's reason why he was sitting there having a scotch, you know, while dinner was getting put out on the <laughs> yep. table, was because he was saying, "I've been working my butt off all day. Mm-hmm. Give me a second, mm-hmm. you know, before I, you know, throw back myself back into this." So, the reality, I and this is true for Chris and for me. I mean, our wives both work too. I mean, and and mm-hmm. part of that is a. I think in our wives' choices, uh, I don't want to speak for Ange, but mm-hmm. for Beth, it, it's a choice. It's a she would go stir crazy. She she doesn't she's yeah she's equipped as a leader to to lead that mm-hmm. you know, get to let that racehorse you know run yeah. you know and so and you also live in California and we so live in California <laughs> and so cheap. it's you just one salary isn't cutting it and so <laughs> in our eighteen years of marriage we've really been able to work out some things but. Even with the fact that she works, we're still, I mean, we still have some of those stereotypical things. Like, I see it when I, as much as I want to sit here and say, oh, we're so, you know, we have a new kind of marriage. But the reality is she probably spent her lunch break today running home real quick, cleaning up a bunch of stuff at the house, Mm -hmm. getting dinner started, running back to work. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's, who are we? kidding ourselves and i i didn't have that vision at all i felt totally relieved of those responsibilities mm-hmm. i guess i could have spent my hour doing that stuff but i didn't so as much as i want to i i feel you typical. had some youtube videos to watch you know <laughs> i got i got I, I got a whole list chad i can teach you how to use an instapot okay <laughs> I, those things scare me to death instapots <laughs> scare me to death they're pressure cookers my dad would just get frozen pizza and that'd be his Heck way yeah. of shipping oh, it for dinner that is so sad let's talk about the beauty of a perfectly roasted brussels sprout with some honey oh and some mustard. Brussels sprouts are one of the oh, grossest yeah. smelling vegetables oh, when they are cooked. Behind me, Satan. Yes. You can no, think that you can think they you can think they no. taste good. I think they taste delicious, and I agree with you. I agree with both of you. They taste great and they smell awful. 
my you know you guys both know him jacob uh, he yeah. was on the podcast in season one he started making brussels sprouts in our house and like no seasoning whatsoever he put it on after the fact or something something stupid um and we'd be able to Amateur smell hour. it in every single room and we'd always know one time he started cooking brussels sprouts at like 8 a.m and it's like a Saturday morning. We're all waking up to the smell of effing Brussels sprouts. And we're like, Jacob, you have to stop making this. We started to threaten him, and finally he stopped. He didn't eat Brussels sprouts. He started cooking them a different way. Um, but I have a vivid memory of them just – maybe you make them better smelling. Mine smelled delicious. Okay, I'm glad. Um, but I don't even want to taste them because of how gross they smell. Anyway, sorry. I've Brussels sprouts hasn't come up in a long time. It triggered some <laughs> – lack of sleep I got because I'm waking up the out. smell of just Get it like out. you gotta talk about it smells it. like 13 year old boys sweating at recess that's so, disgusting and yes thank you that's exactly what I'm trying to say yeah um anyway I would just say that I'm both yeah and our marriage is both we've got we got some of the old school stuff but we've got some of the the, mm-hmm. the newer mm-hmm. sort of approach as well mm-hmm. but I think even that if I may go for it being able to be that aware that you can even say we have both even sets you further along in awareness and Mm -hmm. being able to acknowledge like, yeah, there are some things that are just sort of the way they are. But what I do know that you are doing is you are looking to Beth and you're saying, how, like, is she doing okay? Like, is Mm -hmm. she, like, is she thriving? Is she good? And I'm very, how does she feel about the fact that she comes home and uses her lunch that way? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm very positive. That if that was becoming something that was, you know, causing distress and not in like one day that was chaotic, but like if it was an issue, you would say, you know what, guys, hey, I have to go home because I have to go do this thing Mm -hmm. because you do it in other ways. There are other ways that you show up for your kids to do these um, rhythms, these routines that might more typically fall on that of the mom but you mm-hmm. step yeah. up and you own that sure. um and you do it and well i'm willing to do that like for like i don't know when this is gonna when this podcast is gonna come out this currently happens to be close to thanksgiving i think it's gonna come out in may okay oh, so we got well we just had we just, so you can say things if you want to quit your job in may you can say whatever you want it's right now. it's december 11th right now and so we just came Merry through a, a late a late thanksgiving and my whole family, my extended family system does get a little bit exposed at a holiday because it is the women running around doing almost everything. And then it is the guys immediately who oh, yeah. feel free over the responsibility to clean the crap up. It's mm-hmm. disgusting. And then we, we we watch football games we don't care about. We watch football we don't care about. And, and so I do make efforts to break what is good. I'm allowed to do in my family system, which would, I could just go over to the couch after dinner. Mm-hmm. And so I again, think dads I fall asleep. I don't think they're actually that tired. I think they're just trying to avoid having right. to clean oh, it's up. Absolutely. So they avoid. fall asleep. Yep. So oh, I, food coma. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I I'm, do everything. I'm I my mother-in-law's sous chef. So take that podcast. No, you, you go <laughs> further than the rest of us. You, you do enough work for all of us, but uh, it's a mix of good, progressive, good and bad, mm-hmm. progressive and and, and sort mm-hmm. of standard. And so. well, there's nothing wrong, I think, with some of the stereotypical roles. It's when those are forced or expected. Yes. You can choose to be more feminine if you are a woman and do more of the feminine traditional role, but it's a choice. Mm-hmm. It's we don't want to force mothers to act in a certain way or force fathers to act in a certain way. 
they act according to their gifting, according right. to their personality, according to what the need presents. Right. Um, it's when we like force it where you have to stay home and clean this all up because I'm working right. <laughs> kind right. of thing. Or you need to go home and do this. Or I I can, you know, I'm the one that does this. Right. Um, it's when that's kind of forced, I think, is when we run into trouble. Mm-hmm. So maybe talking a little bit about God, and we won't spend a ton of time on this. Um, not that it's not important, but... What has it been like? Scripture uses fatherly language for God. Um, it uses the word father explicitly. It also uses motherly language for God, although not using the explicit mother term. Um, but how has your idea of fatherhood, um, even now to this day, impacted when you read those texts <laughs> of God as father? Um, how has that changed how you view God? Um, how has your view of God changed because of your view of father? Um, just kind of what has it looked like? And then we'll go into something else. I would just say that I cultivated an awareness, at least in my prayer life, that the um, the ignition, in, in other words, the starting of of my prayer time, whatever that is going to be, I do have to take a little bit of time. And, and um, there's a guy that has been in my life, a therapist that I've had over the last 15 years on and off, who holds a place in my heart as a father. Mm-hmm. And so because I know that my prayer life and my experiences of, of fathers, uh, those two things are really mapped over each other, that I know that I'm going to, when I come to God, I want to come to God as close to how God is coming to me as I, mm-hmm. you know, I want to match up with him. Mm-hmm. And so I do go through a little bit of a, okay, so I'm about to pray. And my internal self-talk is, this is more like talking to Keith. Mm-hmm. than it is anything else I know. This mm-hmm. is more like talking to Keith. And I'll just kind of go through that a couple times um, because I know that father is your first father, mother, mm-hmm. moms and dads. It's primary the, the big one. The primary yeah. ta- caretakers. That is your archetype for what an authoritative, benevolent force in your life is. Mm-hmm. And so for me, uh, I know that and so I, I want to just make sure that I'm getting the right components, the right aspects of God's authoritative role in my life, given the fact that I've had good fathers and bad fathers, you know, mm-hmm. and that have affected the way I'm going to see that authoritative voice. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I, I take time to rally the sort of rally myself around the better ex- expressions of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. If I'm honest, I take a little time to do that. Um, yeah, that's, that's my experience, at least. I mean, I'm mad that you said that because I wish I would have gone first because I would have. We've talked about this. So, sure, sure. Um, right. I, right. I actually approach prayer and is like God in a similar way. My therapist is Steve. Um, mm. And he, so we got Keith, we got Steve. Keith, Mine's yeah. name is Todd. We actually found out that Keith and Classic, Steve. like, I feel like classic white male names. <laughs> Keith, Steve. And, well, Keith and Steve know each other. We just oh, found that out. That, yeah. was, that was weird. That's cool. Yeah, it's this. Um, they could talk about you actually, guys. Actually, Chad, can, uh, there was this moment, and if we can, we can scratch this if uh-huh. we need to. But oh, I feel really emotional right now. Um, so I actually don't know where you're going right now. So uh, Chad went I'm excited. <laughs> uh, Chad went on a retreat, and yes. at this retreat, uh, my Steve and uh, his Keith were there. But we I go to the there. same church. And so there's Chad being cared for by his Keith 
and your Steve, my Steve. Um, and there was this moment that Chad texted me and he saw Keith and Steve. They were so, so they were two people who were running two out of four people running this retreat. It was an Mm -hmm. awesome retreat on the Psalms. It was in Malibu. It was incredible. And, uh, they were two of the four basically staff of this thing. And as they were, I'm sure as you and I are often staff running retreats and things, I'm sure that they were putting their heads together, trying to figure out what to do next. But there was this moment where my Keith was leaning over your Steve talking about details about how to care for the people at this thing. And I looked at them and it was, I was just like, wow, those are some of the most important men in our lives Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. speaking to each other right now. And, um, it was, that was a that was a moment where God drew my attention to these larger things that He's doing in my mm-hmm. slash our life in mm-hmm. our friendship, and um, it was just a, a real settled sense of oh we're we're well cared for, hmm. you know, yeah we're well cared for. And so when I do pray, I tell myself that it's more like talking to Steve, mm-hmm. and sometimes even more like talking to Chad because. You know, Probably I, I, really close to that. Yeah, <laughs> same voice. Uh, but it's more like that because there's really nothing that I could say to Steve or to Chad that would cause either of them to blink too much. There's just kind of like a, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. What's it like for you? Yeah. Um, and like that's really how God res- responds to us. He, mm-hmm. He's open to, to hearing us. and so. But think about all the years that we thought that God responded to us like, other fathers that we've mm-hmm. experienced. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. so the belief is I don't want to pray because when I pray, I get this gigantic sigh, eye roll, disappointed in you, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I don't want that. Um, so, I mean, the, once you know that the primary caregivers that you've had, for better or for worse, do get mapped onto your idea of who God is, you're really kind of responsible for what you're going to do with that information, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, either you go on a journey with that information or you just allow your habits to kind of um, dry up around your spiritual life because mm-hmm. you just don't want to have those interactions. Yeah. You know, it's hard. Well, if we if we consider, you know, what the purpose of your interaction with God is as a relationship, and that is utterly, that's just attachment. And if your primary attachment is formed by your parents, really before the age of three, really around seven months, which is terrifying, and we have a pod, I have an episode on that you can listen to. I have an eleven-month-old. What have I done? <laughs> um, but if that's the case, then when we are attaching to God, our way of attaching is only rooted in how we related to our primary right. caretakers, and so that's why I work with a lot of guys who I feel like. We talk, you know, they're like, they know all the right th- beliefs about God, about who he is. He's gracious, accepting, loving, yada, all these things. But then in their experience of him, mm-hmm. he's judgmental. He's rolling his eyes at you. He's disappointed in you, all these different things. And so it's interesting to just see, like, that always seems more like their dad than, yeah. like, what they believe about God. And there's a reason they can't synergize, you know, their experience of God and what they read about God. Because I think they're they're struggling to attach until they find a Keith or a Steve or a Todd, um, a new, I mean, even like subtle figures. Like I had a basketball coach in high school who was like the, um, coach K of Arizona high school basketball. He has like a thousand wins. Hmm. And so he's worshiped as like the Supreme authority figure for basketball in Arizona. But he was a, I mean, I hopefully (laughs) he's not going to listen to this. Um, 
is not a good not, guy. Not kind? Not no. Kind um, he was, he'd pull you if you made a mistake. Like, oh. as soon as you made a mistake, he'd pull you out of the game. Um, and, I mean, a lot of my relationship with God, I'm realizing, has been on this basis yeah. of, like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Oh, I mess up? Yeah. Okay, punish myself. Pull me out of the game for about uh, whatever the punishment time is. And then I can get back in, and here's a second chance. Yeah. And one mistake, I'm out. So even in, like, secondary attachment figures and authority figures, we project that on to, to God as Father. As long as we're telling stories... And again, use this if you like. We, on basketball coaches and mm-hmm. your wife, it, it, we've gone basketball quite a lot here, actually. Mm-hmm. But love basketball. <laughs> huge basketball fan. Love horse. I love horse. Go, I remember go Raiders. The, and this, go Raiders. this goes to you the. Raiders fan? No. no. Yeah, like that is. A... I barely remembered that they were football. Well, that's good. I'm glad you got something. <laughs> anyway, back to you, Chad. There was there was a coach that I had that was similar, and this goes into the file of like fathers that you have, mm-hmm. and it's for better or for worse. I mean, we will make anybody anybody who is authoritative can become, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm doing air quotes, but father. Yeah. And uh, and I remember my coach. He was a good guy. He he was a good guy. But it was also kind of like the required job was to be disappointed when your team did bad. Oh, yeah. Show that indignation of, ah, I'm so angry at you. It wasn't a mistake you made. It was something flawed. It was a, it was a character you. flaw yeah. of yours, right? Yeah. It, it wasn't that I moved my body wrong. Yeah. It was that, and it was rather innocent. No, it was uh, you are a mess up, uh-huh. you know? But then on the flip side, I remember there was one game. You know, after all these years, you can still remember how much you scored and how much was the, you uh-huh. know, what the, who was there. We were. It was a. It was before uh, the Christmas break, so it was like right around now. We happened to have a league game. All of league is is happening after Christmas break, but we had this one off league game, and so none of our guys could make it. I remember that night we had seven of our guys. Now there's five guys on the on the court at all times per team. We had just seven guys, so we were gassed into this thing, and we ended up beating this team with seven guys. Mm-hmm. And in that game, so we all got way more play time and I remember this I made this steal and it was a breakaway and I made the layup off of the turnover mm-hmm. it was a big turning point in the game and I remember my I remember seeing my coach like fist pump like like yeah. crazy like because we did it that was a crucial moment and I remember thinking that is a break from the, your, your standard character because your character as my coach mm-hmm. is supposed to stand there and not celebrate and kind of project oh yeah that's just the way i planned it yeah. as the coach yeah you know and i realized later a lot of years later that that actually really messed up my view of mm-hmm. authoritative figures like you said colton who are quick to remind me that i messed up and slow to celebrate what i did mm-hmm. to the point of i'm sitting here at 42 years old and remember probably when i was 17 mm-hmm. my coach fist pumping about mm-hmm. something good that i had done i can mm-hmm. i can remember that mm-hmm. right what what is that if not oh yeah the heart seeks mm-hmm. a father anywhere mm-hmm. anywhere yeah. you can find one what's funny is that my coach since he has a lot of accolades he's not surprised by good play so i have a similar type story where we were down by 20 end up coming back i hit a buzzer beater at half court oh, to wow. send us into overtime and <laughs> the coach treats it almost like That's that was a good that was a good play right not you are a great player right 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 <laughs> so when you make a bad play you are a bad person i drew that one up when right you make a good play that's just a play yeah. Um, yeah which i mean that's what fathers and parents do all the time and what are they well. really teaching those coaches are teaching the false self of masculinity the mm-hmm. unaffected male 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they're teaching well, us. Well, because if I was going to be emotionally affected, we would be distraught all season right. under a, a person like that. And right. so you have to turn it off. So yeah, even talking good. about, I mean, we talked a lot about fatherhood, but fatherhood, we're really more talking about parenting mm-hmm. and maybe the male-ish version of it and even more stereotypical. Um, but I think fatherhood and motherhood relate. Um, we're, we're talking a lot about these father figures, but we get just as many narratives from our mothers um, as well. So how do you guys think fatherhood and motherhood relate? Is there a huge difference between the two? Um, and if there is, what is it? And if there's not, how are they similar? <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think they're different. I, I mean, I want to I want to hold that they're different. Motherhood and females are different. And, and, and there's, there's things that in very general ways, just so long as you're open to the anomalies or open to the the to the specificity of the individual who's in front of you uh again if i would go back to my definition of fatherhood or or just parenting really is anybody who's interested in bringing me into the truth and the fullness of who i am mm-hmm. then yeah my mom my mom was responsible for so many things about who i have ended up becoming um that I'd say, I'd look at her and say, Hey, thanks mom for bringing me into the fullness of who I am. So I I mean, there's an emotional center that can be taught, I think by, by our moms uh, from good or for, for bad, for Mm -hmm. good or for bad. But I wasn't learning anything emotional from my father or from my father's, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, coaches didn't teach me about emotional life. Uh -uh. I think they told you even more so to shut it down. Right. Absolutely. You can have those feelings, but they're not going to serve you in any way. So just (laughs) get rid of them. Yeah. They're real, but they have no purpose. Right. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I've, I've absolutely, um, been brought into the fullness of who I am by my mom. Mm -hmm. And I think it's absolutely related. I mean, I would say, I think they're different. I think just there's a practical, even biological experience that is going to be different, Mm -hmm. right? So my wife carrying and birthing both of Mm -hmm. our children, the ways that her body literally Mm -hmm. responds to them Mm -hmm. when when they were infants and even as their physical needs changed and breastfeeding when they were sick, their nutrition needs shifted, like her body just does it. It's magical. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's something so uh, just mind-blowing about the design of a mom, of mm-hmm. that power, that strength. Um, so I do see difference, but I almost see the difference more, um, I, I don't know, I I, I kind of, I want to, what am I trying to say? Like, I want to... There are ways in which I think I'm going to mother my children, and mm-hmm. I think my wife is going to father my, our children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with and that. And so I'm going to say that they're more similar than they are different, mm-hmm. because I think my wife is one of the most powerful people that I know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I feel particularly powerful, and mm-hmm. that power powerfulness feels like it's supposed to be more in the fatherhood box and like mm-hmm. the mother motherhood box like because masculine strain things like that um and so yeah it, it blurs a little bit more for me mm-hmm. but even in the blurriness 
I see distinct differences mm-hmm. in um, the ways that our children engage with us. I think there are ways that I um, am a father to my children in a way that my wife will not be able to father them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's some of why we experience some of the deficit that, that we do because my mom fathered me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it wasn't enough. Yeah. And it's not because of her. Mm-mm. It's just what she was. The need was so great. The need yeah. was so great and what she was capable of providing or not. Yeah. Um, and so they really do blur a lot for me. Um, mm-hmm. And even in that, I see these distinct differences. Um, mm-hmm. And even how our children um, need us at different stages yeah. of our lives. Um, I could have probably been MIA for the first three months of both of my kids' lives. Mm-hmm. And they would not have known a difference. Mm-hmm. Like That's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. But now, um, they would absolutely know. Mm-hmm. And they know when I'm gone for work or something, they know that dad's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is something that I'm able to provide to them mm-hmm. for them that is unique. And I want to hold that and I want to keep that because I think that is mine to hold sacred, to remember that this is the work that God has given me is to love these children. Yeah. Um, and I'm committed to that. Yeah. I think it reminds me that there's a difference between being strong and having strength. Yeah. You know, and so, I mean, my 12 year old son, one of his favorite things to do right now is to sort of bow up against me and try to like test his strength <laughs> and see what he can do and if he can move me off center and, and all these things. And, um, I mean, he's, ch- he's testing to see if he is strong, mm-hmm. if his male body is a strong one. That's what he wants to know. And so he looks to me for, for that or he'll get really excited he's got a pull-up bar on his door and and he'll like he's working at trying to get to 10 and i'll be the first person he'll want to tell about that mm-hmm. uh, he could tell everybody else but it wouldn't matter until he tells his father mm-hmm. that dad i'm strong i i did this many i'm getting better those things matter to him but um and i think men can have strength obviously too but men and women can share strength you know, mm-hmm. and so I think there's a lot of those things in, the, in your question about fathering and mothering. I mean, what were the things we're trying to do is bestow strength of character, you know, mm-hmm. bestow some sort of like um, fundamental and essential strength that allows them to face the things they're going to face. Mm-hmm. You know, so studying for that test, for instance, is a little place so they can displace the strength of their mom and dad, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and um, strength doesn't have to be inherently physical. Right. And I think, but I think that's where we have maybe blended some lines and have put strength to men, to masculinity, because men are, men are more oftentimes actually physically strong, but that is not the same thing as strength, just like knowledge isn't the same thing as wisdom, Mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, to me, on one sense, I just want to note that both my wife and I are engaged in bestowing a, a strength of character to our to our children or at least that's what we're trying to do but that is a far far cry difference from from watching a 12 year old boy look at me and go dad am i strong mm-hmm. and, and and the blessing i can say well yeah man you are you're, mm-hmm. you're coming along it's it's awesome or his favorite thing to do when he was playing baseball was he wanted me to be the to kneel down and to be the catcher mm-hmm. and he wanted to show me how hard he could throw strikes mm-hmm. you know and that mattered to him and i've got mm-hmm. a knot on my shin 
<laughs> that, that he loves talking about mm-hmm. because that was months ago and I still have a knot where that ball hit my mm-hmm. shin, you know? He loves that story about yeah. what he did because it's proof and it's a, it's like shows and is mm-hmm. like a memorial to the fact that he is indeed becoming a strong person. Mm-hmm. Just as long as you remember is that, you know, that's not that's not the only goal. The, the goal yeah. is to become a person who has strength of character. Or what you could do if you want to be a terrible parent is just remind them he's not strong. <laughs> that that didn't hurt. Just perpetually, that, no yeah, matter what. That he's never strong. good enough or strong enough. Um, it just needs you to work harder yep. until one day he'll get it. And then, yeah. but you'll be too old to actually appreciate it. It'll just totally despair. And he'll probably hate me by the time he gets any sort of strength. <laughs> he'll be on his own podcast <laughs> talking yeah. about yeah. father. Yeah. <laughs> um, we could kind of close with two questions. Uh, first is maybe in America today, um, specifically maybe speaking to Christian men, America. what would yeah, America, <laughs> What would be your guys' hope? If you could like kind of have a hope, mm. uh, a slogan, it doesn't have to be short like that, but some type of idea of what is the ideal father in today's America um, and what would that look like for Christian men to live that out? Taking in everything we talked about and how there's similarities between motherhood and everything, but what would be your hope um, for for fathers in America? I, today? I would. I, I'm thinking. I'm looking at you guys, but I, I think that men becoming better at naming the things that they're feeling, naming and owning the things that they're feeling, mm-hmm. because I think it's when men don't do the work to name the things that they feel. Like, let's just face it. Like, like I am not naturally aware of what I'm feeling, so it takes effort to like meticulously try to name the mm-hmm. feeling that I'm having the emotion. But the benefit there is that I, I can help name the, the likely emotions my kids are having and my kids can become mm-hmm. more emotionally mature as well. Um, I really hope that like even a lot of this Enneagram discussion that's happening, that's popular these days, like that we would, that would lead men to become more aware of what they feel. I don't want to manufacture what they feel. I don't want to change what they feel. Mm-hmm. I just think we should be better at it because it's when we start getting bad at naming what we feel, that's when we start doing all of our compensatory addictive behaviors mm-hmm. as a, a cold re- result of having never known what it is that we're actually feeling anyway. And then drifting into some behaviors that we don't even you know pay attention to. Oh, this feels good. So we'll just mm-hmm. do this. So, I just think more emotional maturity could be something I'd love to see yeah. happen. I think I would hope that fathers would hold the office of fatherhood as sacred um, because I don't, I don't know that it is. I think so many guys just kind of check out and kind of fulfill a certain set of duties, but they don't hold the sacredness of the role in a way that um, feels weighty. I remember um, when we found out that our second child was a boy. I mean, this came up in therapy for a long time. Um, And even telling Chad, like, when it was all happening, like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, I do not feel equipped to father a son. Um, there was like grief involved in that. Like it was Mm -hmm. overwhelming. And I think it's because, and yes, my own trauma, my own, um, my own stuff. But I think because I held 
this I hold this rule sacred that I know that there's so much that I'm responsible for. Mm-hmm. Um, and are my children going to be perfect? No. Should I start saving now for their therapy? Probably. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are ways that we could, as fathers, acknowledge the sacredness of the role hmm. that I think would completely change the way that we approach how we love and care for our children. And mm. I, 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 on that, I, I would close at least my real um, observations with this. Is um, and I don't think that this is going to be too embarrassing for my 14-year-old, but just this in the sacredness of it, it's that just like my son is looking to me to see what my face would look like if my face was confirming that he is indeed strong. I'm noticing even, too, that my 14-year-old is doing that with boys. And, mm-hmm. like, what does dad think about boys? And, and is dad, dad is a guy in my life. And I want to learn how to negotiate relationships with guys. Well, I got dad right here. And so I even have a sense at which she's she's experimenting and testing. And, like, she'll walk up to me and just interlock her arm to my arm mm-hmm. and and I can see what's going on there. She's in the, in the sacredness of that moment. She is testing out what it feels like to be with a guy, mm-hmm. you know, and she's seeing how does this feel? And she trusts me to help shape that with her. And, uh, and I don't know that there's a lot for me to do, but there is a lot for me to be aware of like, Oh yeah, this is happening. He needs to know if he's strong. He's going to look to see if he can, recognize that in my face she's looking to figure out how to be with these mysterious guys and she's going to look to me Mm -hmm. to see how to do that that to me is i think what you're saying is those are those moments where i think i just regard them and and label them in my in my heart as oh yeah that's a sacred moment right now she's doing that Mm -hmm. and she's building some basic form basic building blocks of her life uh right now right in this moment wow that's sacred Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Well, as a father, when your daughter does date a guy, and if the guy she dates, I mean, fathers are normally pretty critical, (laughs) especially of the guys their daughters date. But for me, the more I study family development and psychology and how our brains work, it's probably more your fault as a dad and what guy she's into because of how you Mm. interacted with her and how you parented her compared to just blaming her for somehow having bad taste. Mm -hmm. You gave her that taste. You and her mother gave her that taste and other authority figures in her life. So speaking of other authority figures, the church is obviously, for most Christians, outside of parents, their number one authority figure. So how can the church, um, like what is your hope for the church in coming alongside fathers, itself being a type of father figure? How can the church, in a sense, do fatherhood better? We can stop making it so gendered. Like my gut, re- like my, <laughs> I could like feel it in my body. I know you <laughs> right up to the mic immediately. <laughs> Um, like can we stop having these men's meet nights and these men's rough and tough Mm -hmm. like things because it it really plays into the false self Mm -hmm. Um, and it really does a disservice to the wide breadth of being a father that it's Mm -hmm. not all 
race cars and steak and murka like <laughs> it's just can we well, not that doesn't fit everybody's uh idea of who they are as a man either no yeah. um and so i would love love it if the church was intentional with fathers mm-hmm. in a way that was able to pull out a little bit and say what is the calling Mm-hmm. of a father mm-hmm. and how can we cultivate that in mm-hmm. the men in our church so how could they father not only children that are their own but children that are um, other sons and daughters in the church that might be five or 45 mm-hmm. uh, because we all need to be fathered mm-hmm. at different stages in our lives and different things chat at 40 um, is not exempt from being fathered as he shared mm-hmm. and Chad at 60 is going to need a different type of fathering than mm-hmm. he's receiving right now. And I am at too. 63. At 63 yeah. though, I'm not going to need any more. Because everyone else Thank is God. dead. Yeah. So there's <laughs> no well, one older than you. And retirement. Cause then you just, you know, check out. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, it would be that the church would um, just <clears throat> stop it with the meat men's meat nights yeah. and, and if, you, and if you're it's listening to this and you're triggered by Chris saying, stop it being so gendered, our barbecue and basketball nights, it's think of if the church is the beacon of hope for the world, if it is supposed to be modeling the way of Jesus, what about your masculinity and fatherhood nights, whatever, are actually scriptural, actually biblical? Because we say we're very biblical, but if anything, we look more like we're 4th of July type Christians yeah. than biblical fathers. We're 4th of July fathers more so than we are biblical fathers. Because mm-hmm. there is none of this... Ooh, you know NASCAR, which I don't know. It's well, Southern California, but back even like to his NASCAR. thing about what is the basic calling of yeah. of a fatherhood. That that's a better question because mm-hmm. what it appears to be, um, we appear to be answering that question, and our answer to that question is the calling of a father in our churches. Uh, we're answering that question. The calling of a father is the admiration of classic cars, mm-hmm. uh, is the admiration of barbecue meat, you mm-hmm. know, and and silly things, you know, like. Non consequential things, and the, in the end of the end of the day, yeah, no, the mechanic uh, really put together an amazing car there, but that's not my fundamental call as a man mm-hmm. per se. That that can be an interest, yeah, or a hobby, but that is not my at the center of who I am and what I'm doing. And so, perhaps what Chris is suggesting is that we just move us off center of, of, of making that those really external things, the center of how we're training men to be fathers. Mm-hmm. Think about in the this. Church. We have mops, right? Moms. Moms of preschoolers. Preschooler. Yeah, not actual like mops, cleaning mops. <laughs> but we have uh, these groups, mops. God bless them. You need mops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've never, ever seen an event at a church that was for men or you're invited to bring your kids along. Mm. That's a good point. Why? Because men are not expected. Unless if it's a daddy-daughter date, and it's about her purity, and it's terrible. Oh, good God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even going to touch that. Um, (laughs) But think about it. What would it be like to have like a dad's of preschoolers? No one would ever think of doing that. Why? Because (laughs) men don't ever stay home with Mm -hmm. their children, which is false. And so then it leads to more isolation among men. Uh, it, it, it's it's a whole thing. Don't get me started. Mm-hmm. But in a church, we're not even doing that. 
-hmm. There's no space for an event where dads come and bring their kids along. Mm -hmm. It would be weird if I showed up to an event at our church that was four men and I brought my kids in tow. Mm -hmm. No one would question my wife if she showed up to a women's event Mm -hmm. and brought her kids. Mm. Why is that? Mm. That's good. And I would say just as a as a pastor, I want to remember this, too, is that there's a lot of people out there who are really missed by their fathers. And I say that plural. And so for us to take more seriously what our calling is and if our calling is to be fathers, to father people, and, and if in any sense that means to bring them into the fullness of who they are then as a pastor, I just want to accept some responsibility. Like I'm literally, I need to go because I have a pastoral care appointment coming up here in a few minutes. And like, I think my prayer walking over is just going to be whoever this person is, Lord, would you just give me a heart to see how to bring them into the fullness of who they are? Because I don't know how that person has been raised. I don't know how that person Mm -hmm. has been cared for and nurtured and Lord, would would the time that I have to spend with this person bring them into the fullness of who you created them to be? Um, Mm. If they could take their their role more seriously in that regard, that could could go really well. Mm. That's good. This has been awesome. I'm excited for people to dive into their their dad stuff. (laughs) Dive into their father. That's always fun. (laughs) That's always nice. Thousands of dollars of counseling coming on the way. (laughs) I think I calculated it once and it's so if you want to save money on paying for your kids stuff that's a way to do it be a better dad well sweet thanks guys and as always if you've enjoyed what you have heard today or enjoyed what this podcast is doing and what is it about it would help us out greatly if you could leave us a review and if you could subscribe to the podcast This helps us reach other people, and this helps us fulfill what this podcast is ultimately trying to do, which is bring hope to those who are trapped, those who are struggling, and those who are wondering what to do with sexuality. We hope that Chris and Chad's words today encouraged you in your fatherhood, reframed how you view what it means to be a dad, and ultimately made you feel hope for your idea of parenting. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing, so by the power of the Holy Spirit, may abound in love.